Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of My Most Authentic Life. My name is Fede Vargas. This is a podcast that inspires and empowers you to design the life that you deserve. Through solo episodes and guest interviews, we connect with people that are daring to live boldly and bravely. Thank you for coming back and thank you to all the return listeners. And remember that if you are enjoying these episodes and if you haven't done so already, please give us a rating and a review on Apple, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast listening platform. I would really appreciate it and it will help others to find this podcast as well. In today's episode, we're talking about a very important subject. For anyone that's been listening on here, you know my motivation and inspiration for launching this podcast. It all started with a low point that I hit at the beginning of 2021, one of the lowest and darkest points of my life that eventually triggered my move to Mexico and got me on this deep personal development journey that's been life-changing. I've always known that there would be an episode on mental health awareness, but I hesitated because I didn't want to fumble it or get it wrong. But you know what? There's never a right time or the right way to talk about these things. So the conversation is going to start today. Today, we're joined by certified leadership and mental wealth coach, Michelle Anghang. We'll hear her powerful and courageous story. We'll hear the secret that she kept hidden for 10 years and hear the healing journey that leads her to find her life purpose and through it to find her way to her most authentic self. When we normalize and destigmatize mental health awareness, it makes everything stronger. You and me individually, our closest relationships and the social fabric stronger. So let's get that conversation started. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thank you, Fede. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for being here. And this is a very important subject, a very complex, multi-layered subject. And like I said, this is just the, the intro, but I want to get started with your personal story uh, that led you on this path now to be a voice and a champion uh, for mental health awareness. Um, please share that with us. Sure. Um, so uh, the it started um, about seven, almost 17 years ago, I lost my husband uh, by suicide, he had um, he was living with severe mental illness, um, and you know after a couple of years of of a severe decline, where you know he wasn't able to get the right dosages, the right treatments. Um, unfortunately, our our systems, I think globally, um, you know, are, are a little bit lacking. But uh, you know, there, there's you know he he was not able to get the support that he needed or the treatment that he needed um, to help his mental health, and so he did die by suicide. Um, I he was 35 at the time. I was 34. We had two small kids um, who at the time were seven and four. Um, and when the family was gathering after the news came of, of, of his death, um, one of the family members uh, turned to me and said, what will we tell people? And, you know, I came from a community of, you know, where mental health is not openly discussed. Um, I think kind of throughout society, there, there's a lot of that, a lot of fear around talking about mental health and mental illness and suicide, a lot of stigma around that. 
and so, of course, my first reaction was then, oh, I don't know. What do we tell people? You know, because immediately my my shame started setting in. Was there more I could have done? You know, how does this reflect on me? Um, what will I tell my children? How will they deal with this? Because I knew I certainly couldn't wrap my head around it as an adult, let alone, you know, preschoolers having this information. And so we agreed that we were going to say that my husband died in an accident. Um, and unfortunately, I carried that secret with me for over 10 years uh, of, you know, telling people, you know, that yes, I'm, I'm widowed. And how did your husband die? He died in an accident. However, I never wanted to talk about it because obviously it was a lie. Um, and so, you know, I, I never got into the details of it, but, um, you know, living with that lie, um, pretty much destroyed my own personal mental health, as you can probably imagine. Um, you know, I was not able to heal, um, or grieve in the way that I needed to grieve. Uh, grieving a suicide loss is very different than grieving other causes of death. Um, I was, you know, keeping the secret. I was constantly anxious that, oh, who's going to find out? Will my children find out from someone else? Um, just even li living with this, you know, inner conflict of, I like to think of myself as an honest person, and yet I am lying about, you know, the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to me and, and part of my identity. Uh, so, you know, it, it had me, you know, ending up with, you know, diagnoses of depression, of anxiety, um, PTSD as well from, you know, that, that entire experience. Um, and, uh, you know, I finally reached a point where, you know, my, my life, you know, was, was really, I guess I could, I could say it was kind of, I, I was moving through life, avoiding this massive, massive problem and denying myself so much to a point where, um, you know, I just, I couldn't take it anymore. And I couldn't live like that. Wow. Um, that's just so powerful. And thank you for sharing that. The first questions that come to mind are in those early days that you were able to keep this a secret, how were you able to manage that and how contained was it? It was really contained, um, really only the immediate family and a handful of close friends knew the truth. Um, I think the only way I got through it was I was in shock. And so I was completely checked out already. Um, you know, and, and, you know, being checked out, I think I was checked out long before he passed as well. You know, he, he had schizoaffective disorder, which um, basically presents itself like it has the components of bipolar disorder. So there's the depression and the, and the manic episodes. And then there's also the schizophrenic uh, side of things where the person um, will experience hallucinations or delusions. Uh, so my, you know, my husband was, was not doing well for, you know, he was in psychosis, um, you know, towards the end of his death and I was so busy just trying to navigate around that, protect my kids, um, you know, from 
not from him, but, you know, from seeing the illness, from seeing what, you know, what the illness caused, um, you know, so much fear around that. And he also had a lot of fear around the stigma. He didn't want people to know about his diagnosis. He, he felt shame around that. So it was a lot of keeping things a secret even before he passed away. Um, so, so, you know, I was completely dissociated and then the shock on top of it, you know, in some ways it was a blessing um, because I, I just couldn't feel all the feelings that, that were there. Um, but then it was a curse as well in the sense that I, I was not present to, to life. I, you know, it, it impacted my kids and how I could parent them. Um, you know, so, so it was all quite detrimental. Now talking about grieving, you said that you were in shock. There was a shock factor that you had started to check out long before having to deal with the illness for so long. How did that impact your grieving process? And at what stage does the grieving begin? Yeah, I don't know that there was grieving before because I didn't know he was going to die. And I was in so much denial um, around, you know, and, and, and in denial about what was going on and um, disbelief, which, you know, it often, you know, happens to family members of people with severe mental illness. We just, you know, we can't quite wrap our heads around the fact that, you know, there's an illness similar to a brain tumor that is causing changes in the behavior of, of our loved ones. And so we always think of them as the person that we experienced before the illness took hold. Uh, so we're constantly battling with reality against what's actually going on. Um, so I think there was a lot of denial and disbelief beforehand. Um, and then after he passed away, um, you know, there was definitely grieved the loss, but with suicide loss, one added element is, is there's anger that comes with, with that. Um, the anger of, you know, why did you leave us? Um, you know, why didn't you get, you know, push harder for the help? Why didn't you let us support us? Why didn't you tell us that you were where you were, but then also angered at ourselves of why didn't I see this? Uh, you know, I've I've done thankfully a lot of a lot of therapy around that to understand that yes, you know, I I knew I you know I could only work with what I knew at the time. There was you know there was no Facebook, there was no social media that where we can get that information so accessible to us. Um, so you know, I didn't know, and I was also so close that I wasn't seeing how bad it got because it was gradual. So. Um, you know, it it was hard to see. But um, so there is that element of grief that I really couldn't talk about with, you know, I could talk to my therapists about it. um, But it wasn't, you know, but with everybody else out there, you know, seeing neighbors or friends on the street, and, you know, how are you doing? And they're thinking it was an accident. And inside, I've got all these other emotions that I just can't share. So I'm pretending, oh, yeah, it's so sudden and can't believe it happened. Uh, but really, nobody knew what was happening for the years leading up to his death. So again, it was just that part that I was completely cutting off of myself and disconnecting from because I couldn't face it. So talking about grief and the stages of grief, you've mentioned before that your life journey has been nonlinear. Yeah. 
And because of this secret you were keeping, it absolutely had to be. Yes. So take us through your non-linear healing journey. Well, you know, it was suppressing the guilt, uh, the, well, the guilt and the grief, um, you know, that didn't allow me to grieve fully in the time that, um, that I needed to grieve and that, that I was at, at the worst. It, it was extended so much longer than it needed to be. The reality is I really um, was only able to grieve in a different way um, or a new way in a healthier way over the pandemic, um, you know, it, which, you know, was 15 years after the loss. So there was no healing. So it was kind of, you know, grieving certain things, then, then shifting backwards. Also, you know, through the choices that I was making, um, I kept keeping myself small. So it was steps forward, but then steps backwards. You know, um, when, when we're in this place of, you know, not loving ourselves, not, um, you know, allowing certain things of ourselves, not accepting parts of ourselves, we take on things and we accept things in life that, you know, are not always good for us. And so it showed up in work, it showed up in relationships, um, getting re-traumatized. So, you know, this, this was my journey of, you know, a lot of really unpleasant things happening because of this one original choice. And it was only after I started, you know, well, long after my healing process. And then once I started actually talking publicly about it, that I could heal in a different way that, you know, the, the anger was really fully resolved. Um, and I could actually start grieving the husband that I knew long before his illness really took over. So it still shows up in, in my day-to-day -day life. So question for you about your closest relationships and those with your children, of course. When did they know? Um, so with my closest friends, I mean, like I mentioned, there were only a handful of people who actually knew the truth. Um, you know, I, I have friends from high school that, you know, I didn't talk to daily that didn't tell them the truth either. Um, so it was, it was 10 years before I actually started opening up little by little, um, and talking about it with, you know, a, a larger group of people. Um, you know, when I was in relationships, I did share the truth with them. But again, so much of it was unresolved. And I was choosing partners who, you know, were not entirely healthy either, because well, you know, we, we kind of attract where we are, and I was really not a healthy person. So that's, you know, that that's what I was, I was bringing into my life. And at that point, at the 10 year mark, yeah. What makes you make the decision that this was the time, this is the time to share it? Yeah, great question. Uh, the turning point for me was really um, being in a relationship that was very, very unhealthy. That, um, you know, it was, it was somebody else that also had some severe trauma that was not dealt with. And so, you know, I, I, they call it trauma bonding. Uh, so that, um, that relationship took me to new, new depths of, of low. 
And um, I remember I was getting close to my 45th birthday and just kind of hit hit a point of I cry every single day and I'm turning 45 and I can't live the next half of my life like this. This is just too painful. And um, so I I just said, I, I need I need to do whatever it takes to change this. I don't know what that looks like but I need to start somewhere. And that's where I went to do a really deep dive, but from a place of rock bottom of, you know, I don't care. Let's, let's do this because there was always the fear of, I can't fall apart. I'm raising, you know, two kids. I need to be there for them. I need to be strong for them. At this point, they were already in their teen years. uh, And it was like, okay, it's time. And what was that like? The first time, the first time you told someone and who was it? Um, well, there, I don't, there were people who knew. Um, so I don't recall at that point, you know, if there was a particular person in my life that I shared it with. Um, but after doing my, you know, the deep therapy, I reached a point of realizing this is, this is my life purpose is about talking about my story and supporting people. Uh, so I actually did a Facebook post and told everybody at once. And um, at this point, well, actually, before I did that, I told my children, they, I guess they would be the first ones that, that really mattered that didn't know the truth. Um, so it was sharing it with them. They were, they were teens at that point. Um, and so, yeah, just, you know, called them up for dinner, sat them down and said, there is something that I've been keeping from you that I, I need to share. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very um, blessed that I've got two wonderful, understanding, loving sons that, you know, could hear my story um, and say they, you know, obviously they didn't choose this for themselves, but they understood why I made that choice. And, um, you know, we're, we're still, you know, a few years later working through things and they've had to do their own work and, you know, trust was definitely had to be rebuilt. Um, and at the same time, they have been my biggest supporters in the work that I do now. Uh, and that, that's what led me to decide, okay, I'm going to share this with Facebook and my older son who, you know, at the time was in university and, um, doing communications. I think he was, maybe he wasn't in university yet. I can't recall now. Um, he's, he's since graduated, but, uh, he's an excellent writer. So he helped me, um, edit my, my Facebook post, and my kids were like, okay, go ahead, mom, hit, hit post and do it. And, uh, so, so they, they really backed me up. Um, I also had, uh, another group of, um, Colleagues who who were also dear friends as part of a leadership development program I was in who also um, supported me through that decision to to go public with it and with my mission. So I felt quite held in that uh, in that regard. That's so brave and beautiful and such a bonding moment for you and your kids. So now that the secret has been told and the whole world knows through Facebook, uh, that must have been so liberating. Like, what a relief. Yes, terrifying, terrifying and liberating. Yes, because <laughs> I didn't know how people would respond. And I was scared, like, oh, no, you know, what's the backlash I'm going to get on that? And and I did not. That's the answer. I didn't get any. I just was flooded with love like I did not, ex- had never experienced before. So, yes, there was the relief. Um, there was a lot of gratitude and motivation 
that, okay, I did the right thing and I'm on the right path. Well, that's, that's incredible. Congratulations. You know, this is not on video, but the tone of the interview changed your, your body language and your face lit up. And I'm just so happy that you were able to have that moment. And it's inspiring. It's an inspiring journey to your most authentic self. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that is Michelle's powerful and courageous story. And through it, she found her life purpose and led her on a path to become a mental health coach. And that is what we'll discuss next time. On the next episode of My Most Authentic Life, the concept of mental wealth and how to build those deposits with Michelle Langhang. And that's today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, have an amazing day. And remember to keep on living time on.